Hello, you've reached the Lovecraft hotline. If you're currently being driven mad, press 1. If you're experiencing vivid dreams of another time, press 2 to wake up. If you've received a mysterious package, press 3. If your legacy is being tarnished by racism and or anti-Semitism, press 4. If you're dealing with an eldritch terror, book, or abomination, press 5 now to be immediately connected to an operator. There it is, there it is. Your call is important to us. Stay on the line and it will be answered in the order received. Uh, okay, fuck. Kind of pressing issue. Lovecraft Hotline, I'm Randolph. How can I help you? Uh, yeah, hey Randolph. Uh, thanks for taking my call, I guess. I have, um, I have some issues that I was hoping you could help me out with. Something, okay. um, something. Sir? Sir? Yeah. Sir? What? Sir? Yeah. First off, well, slow down. I'm only human. Okay, <sighs> I need to get some information. All right, I didn't feel... All right, that's fine. Um, are you experiencing any issues that are related to Lovecraftian universe? There's somebody approaching me in my dreams. Um, kind of like a very beautiful mm. Egyptian pharaoh. Like very powerful, muscular build, very sexual. Sounds like um, my dreams, huh? Oh, <laughs> that's... You're fun. Uh, the, um, he keeps calling himself um, Nyarlathotep, which on mm. a cursory Google search is kind of bad news for me. Okay, um, well... You know, let's not just jump to any conclusions. Not everyone can just Google their problem and become a doctor. I okay. I'm. It's called the crawling chaos. You know, I will have you of- know. I studied at Miskatonic University, Spokane Extension, and I majored in Arcana. Okay, so let's you know maybe leave the conclusions to the experts. I heard that extension course was very robust. Um, so it's not the fact that this man is very sexual and powerful. In fact, you know, maybe it's something to look up to in my dreams. Um, mm-hmm. It's. It's starting to kind of like whisper to me during daytime that, um, oh. yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm like walking around and when I look into a dark corner, I see like, I see movement. I see things, um, like an, a single claw or like a, kind of like a hand. Um, and it keeps saying like, join me, join us. You'll love this. Every time I like think I see it, my mind gets all fuzzy. I can't mm-hmm. really remember. Okay. okay. What was your name again, sir? Uh, yeah, my name's Lucky. Lucky. Okay. I'm not going to lie to you. I wasn't good. entirely listening to what you were saying, but well, that's, I heard you mention some hallucinations. So I'm going to run through some questions and you have to, without interrupting me or snapping your fingers at me, I let me ask these questions. Okay. Okay. Have you disturbed any crypts lately? Well, think, think hard is, on that. Disturbed is kind of a, kind of a tough term. I would say there's, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can disturb something. I would say okay. disturbed is a good band. Okay. I'm going to put Maybe. All right. Now, would you define your terror as nameable or unnameable? You weren't listening because I did tell you specifically the name of the thing. It told it's whispering its name to me. That's kind of the whole thing. Okay, I'm going to put in a for Naarlahotep. So, <laughs> okay. So you, okay. All right. He wasn't listening now. Okay. So I mostly, as an operator, have experience with the Dreamlands. So is it possible that you are asleep? Or that I am. What? I'm calling in for help. You're supposed to help. But I don't know if I could be dreaming. I wouldn't. I don't know that you're real. So. I mean, I guess that's kind of my big fear right now anyway, because I'm not really sure what's real either. Okay. I'm going to mark maybe asleep for both of us just to cover our bases. All right. Well, just reviewing your information, I think that we are going to be able to help you. That's good. That's good news. What do I do? How do I? Okay, however, do I need to like get I some am fresh not authorized 
to send out any potential occult wizards, clergy members, or oddball historians, etc. Okay. Do you have any, like, gay detective team that deals with stuff like this that could potentially help? Okay, well, Griffin and Wyborn, yes, first off, yes, yes, a thousand times, yes, we do. They are on their honeymoon, which is where two straight men go to collect honey and sleep in their same room together. And it's not weird, and it's really, it's really sweet so they're because not, of the honey. They're not gay. Okay, wink, wink, right? Oh, like, okay, I know, got you, I got you. They're gay like I'm straight. <laughs> okay, now, what I am authorized to do is transfer you to the appropriate department. Man, will you let will you let will you let me do that for you? Yeah, you I mean, I feel like me you're the one help you help me help you help me help you to transfer you, sir. You're the one being difficult. I'm yes, just okay. yes, right. whatever. Okay, bye bye. Hello, this is GRBN, where magic lives. This is Mac. How can I help? Uh, hey, Mac. Yeah, sorry, I was uh, got a little held up oh. there. I had to make a personal phone call. Lucky. Um, hey, yeah, no problem. Are you ready? Yeah, to... it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird oh. that I transferred into the. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um. Welcome back to the Gentleman's Romantic Book Nook, a journey into love and literature. I am your host, Lucky, and here with me always. Uh, Mac W. Monty, broadcasting to you live from Portland, Oregon. Mac, this was quite the reading. Um, oh. I gotta say, of the times, of the things we've said, of the wishes we've made about more romance, more intimacy, they have been fulfilled in full. Uh, yeah, this is like a monkey paw kind of thing, almost, where it's like, I wish we could read a book that had a little bit more sensuality to it a little bit more sex and then it's just granted and the monkey's paw clenches shut strangely enough monkey paw was the first sexual act they performed and it just got (laughs) crazier from there man the monkey's paw what would that okay no that has to already be a sex thing i don't want to look it up though we should figure it out no no i'm like i'm good i think we should just wait for it to pop up in the literature oh man okay well if anybody out there is listening and they want to tell us tweet at us let us know what the monkey paw is um, no, don't, don't, don't tweet it. Yeah, don't tweet it. Don't tweet it. Me tweet to GRBN. She tweeted at GR Book Nook. Let us know what the monkey's paw is. In case you hadn't guessed, this week we continued our reading of Wittershins by Jordan L. Hawk. We read chapters eleven through twenty, which is quite literally the meat of the book. Uh, Lucky, you want to take us through a little bit of what happened there? Yeah, I'd like to um, just a preface this reading. This is the most sexually explicit book that we've chosen. Also, the most sexually explicit book that I've ever read. So yeah. try to see if you can guess where I try to dance around some of the more challenging terms. Amateur. We pick up the story as our boys arrive at the house of ill repute, continuing their case on the murder of Philip Rice. Wyborn is led to believe Griffin wanted to come here to visit a prostitute of the female variety. He gets super jealous and does alcohol about it, hustling the nearby gamblers out of their money. His jealousy and drunkenness finally getting the better of him, Wyborn tries to stumble home. As he's walking down the street, some ruffians attempt to mug him, but he's saved at the last minute by Griffin. Griffin clears the air about the prostitute's turned informant and safely transports Wyborn home. Wyborn spends the next two days hung over and horrified at his embarrassing actions. Christine comforts him, telling him she knows he's gay and she accepts him, once again proving she's the real hero of the story. Yeah, there's a fun moment there with Christine. Um where she asks him, like, oh, does Griffin share your inclinations? And he says he doesn't have any idea. And then she asks him this question. So it isn't true that you just somehow know when you come across one another. And he's <laughs> like, don't be absurd. The technology doesn't exist yet. I just like the, the idea that gaydar existed even back then as a concept is, is cool to me. 
we had to figure out how to harness that power and put it into some kind of handheld device or some sort of cod piece. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's there though. The cod piece, there's something there. We'll get the boys done at R and D the GRB and R and D team on that stat. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a mouthful, but that is what they specialize in. <laughs> a bit of bits of mouthfuls. That was a really fun moment. I think because you know, this whole book, we've seen Griffin be so worried that people are like understanding him, I guess, or just like realizing that he's gay and he needs to hide this because of the time period and confidence issues within himself. Yeah. Seeing him in any way, he's uncomfortable with people just seeing him. Yeah. And then Christina just, uh, I was like, obviously, yes, man, I know we've been friends for like six years. I know you're gay. It's chill. <laughs> yeah, for real. I've seen the magazines you subscribe to. Griffin stops by the museum later, clearing any remaining bad air and eager to continue the investigation. He has located an abandoned building with connections to Philip Rice. As Griffin expresses worry over Wyborn's use of magic from the Arcanorum, Wyborn begins to wonder if maybe there's something between them. Later that evening after dinner, Griffin and Wyborn break into the abandoned house. They believe they will find stolen cattle and goats. However, the house is a trap! <laughs> A swarm of guardians, or half-human monsters, attack the boys. With quick thinking, Wyborn ignites the house's gas pipes with his definitely not evil fire magic, blowing all the guardians away. Yeah, this is like a weird uh, action movie scene in the middle of the book. I was kind of surprised that they were like leaping out of an exploding building away from a turret of monsters. But the, because, I mean, almost nothing happens in the selection. It's very like, oh, a glance from Celeste, how dramatic. No, there's like a gay man using magic to light a building on fire to kill half man, half alligators that are attacking them. This book is like nonstop plot, plot. Half man, half alligators that were like spilling out of some type of basement, terrifying like well, basically, just a oh, well of evil yeah. monsters. And lucky, I'm just getting a note from our producers. It's, it's Manigator is the preferred nomenclature. So if we could... Start referring to them as Manigator. That'd be great. Okay, yeah. I wish I God, I wish I had a connection to the producer. This is really frustrating to have to hear it from you while we record. But well, yeah, there, yeah, yeah, I understand. I've got that direct line there. Right, right, right. Okay. There's a little moment at the house where we find out that Griffin is very afraid of being in underground spaces, just anywhere below ground, mm. um, which is a really big plot point for later. But it, it is kind of interesting, this like tough Pinkerton character who's supposed to be doing all this investigating, hiding behind Wyborn, who has shown himself <laughs> a bit of a coward. Well, you know what they say, behind every gay man, there's another gay man. You, you raise a good point about Griffin in that moment. Uh, he's hiding behind Wyborn, and Wyborn does kind of take the lead, and he's the one who realizes that it is, in fact, a trop. Wait, and he's the one who saves them. That's true. Wyborn is way more badass than Griffin. He can do magic. He has a friend, which Griff, of which Griffin has none. He works at a museum, which makes anybody instantly badass. True. And he causes explosions and chases after the thieves later on. Spoilers for a, little, a couple chapters away, but... Yeah, he's pretty... He's a he's badass. A, he's a registered badass. I'm going to start changing my opinion. As they escape the Guardians and the Flames, a new flame alights as Griffin and Wyborn share their first <laughs> kiss. Griffin invites Wyborn back to his place, and they get right freaky with some mouth action. They head up to the bedroom <laughs> to continue the no pants dance. Our romance scene continues into a second chapter with some full bodied writhing and more oratory exploration. This sex scene was really notable to me because it's not just one sex scene. It's like a sex triptych. It just keeps going and going uh, like it, it has so many endings where you think 
Like in a movie, if two characters would be like passionately kissing and then they unzip their pants and sort of start going down and then that fades to black. In this movie, they like lights immediately start fading back up like, oh, the gas is going out. Better put it up again. Fool, bright lights again. And they just continue to have sex on and on and on. They had sex for a very long time, which, you know, good for them. Uh, obviously, Wyborn was so pent up, he really needed that release. And I think this was a very good moment for him. I mean, we, we've stopped counting them, but this is boners like five, six, seven, eight, nine. I counted. It was hard to keep track, to be honest. Uh, but there were no less than six explicit erections mentioned between the two of them. Um, I, I may have I didn't want to go back and really double check, but I, I counted it six when I first read through. Yeah, and if you didn't get from my kind of dancing around it, they started with some oral play and finished with some jousting. Uh, it's called fraught or frottage rhymes with cottage. Oh, uh, why would you? Oh, well, just for future. No, I guess you're, I love you're, cottage. Why would you say that? Cottage I cheese, love, the small little houses. Frottage cheese. Why yes. would you say that? Oh, no. Um. <laughs> Uh, which is probably mind-blowing to Wyborn, who, in fact, has never even been kissed before this night. So you talk about putting out on a first date. This is like... Yeah, that's a little loose, honestly. You get one kiss, and all of a sudden, it's time to spend the night and fraught. Uh, <laughs> lightsaber duel. Duel of the fates. Uh, it's funny you mention him being pent up, because Griffin has this line uh, describing Wyborn, and he, this is pretty good. You're like a bottle of fine champagne, yearning to be opened. Year after year, the pressure building slowly with no release. And ever since I met you, all I could think was what it would take to make you pop. And it's got those little ellipses in there, too. When the movie, if they ever make a movie out of this, like a Fifty Shades of Grey level, that'll be the line on the poster. You're like a bottle of fine champagne. What will it take to make you pop? I've never seen Fifty Shades of Grey, so I don't know how sexually explicit it gets. If this movie is a shot for shot remake of the book, I probably will watch a recut of just the story <laughs> where they're dealing with the mummy and the dark magic because these it are was my graphic. Eldrick jeans. It's his sexy <laughs> jeans he puts on when he's facing Eldrick horrors. Uh, a couple of a couple of things I want to point out in the language of the sex that they used. They start uh, Jordan L. Hawk uh, is pretty good at writing sex scenes. I would say it's very realistic. It's sensual. It's not like a, un, it's not unrealistic like a some you know pornography. It's actually pretty sensual. He starts off trying to use all these period terms for penis like member and length, but then it just quickly devolves into the c o c k word. Um, I sound like a cheerleader, but I'm not gonna. I, with all the terms of like lengths and spend, you'd think that they were talking about going to like a tailor. Yeah, the boys really went three fingers to the rivet on this one. Oh, the satisfying night of lovemaking ends with an awkward morning chat about ex-lovers and big shames. However, this new vulnerability just brings them closer together. Yeah, something we learn in the morning is the we then learned the backstories to both characters and sort of why they're a little bit more distant from each other. I think it's pretty cool that one of the reasons that they're so repressed is partly because of the time in which they live. It's not super welcoming to homosexuals, but more so it has to do with their personal like life issues, not not mm. the society in which they live, but what they've experienced as human beings is their biggest hurdle to get over. Uh, it's themselves. And I think that was really accepting because if it was if it, if it hammered on that social issue too much, the book, I think, wouldn't be as as effective as it is. Mm hmm. 
We're going to take a little break now from the review of the book to talk about one of the organizations we'd like to sponsor during this book. Uh, Mac, what do you have for us this week? Yeah, in honor of LGBT History Month, we're highlighting some different charities each episode um, that if you feel like you need some support from or if you're able to support them, um, we just want to kind of put it out there. You've probably heard about these folks uh, at the Trevor Project, uh, but in case you haven't, it is the leading national organization providing crisis intervention and suicide prevention services to LGBT and questioning young people under 25. Uh, and in fact, that's the only national 24-7 crisis intervention and suicide prevention lifeline for queer young people. Um, and that's uh, available. We'll have the number in our description. And uh, it offers accredited, life-saving, life-affirming programs and services to LGBTQ youth uh, to create a safe, accepting, and inclusive environment. Um, and the cool thing about them is you can either call the lifeline, you've got the chat, and there's also um, texts you can do. So if you don't quite feel comfortable calling in over the phone, you can um, reach someone and get some support through that. Um, you can volunteer uh, for them, get that support you need, or make a donation at thetrevorproject.org. Uh, once again, thetrevorproject.org. They're doing some really good work out there, and they have been for quite a while. Um, kind of one of the mainstays out there. Yeah, the Trevor Project is a great organization. Um, give them some support if you can. And now, back to the review. Griffin and Wyborn spend the snowy day together, discussing the case and each other, definitely blowing off work without any notification. The next day, back at the museum, Wyborn goes to Chief Resident Asshole Bradley for more knowledge <laughs> on town founder Theron Blackburn. He learns Blackburn left instructions for the Brotherhood to resurrect him after he died. Wyborn ponders using dark magic against Bradley before leaving. Nothing troublesome there. He's such a dick, I don't think it, nobody would mind if, if this happened. The Bradley character is such an interesting perspective, right? Because it's like this straight, aggressive, rude character. And there was this part in this reading that kind of blew me away. He kind of implies to Wyborn that Wyborn should just take the receptionist into a closet against her will for sexual favors. Like, I, mm -hmm. I could not believe that this was happening. Like, oh, my God, this guy's this guy's a monster. He maybe should get burned alive. Yeah, because we knew that he was an, an asshole and a raging misogynist. But this was like a line of the cross into like villain of the story for him. He's he's probably committed on the page. That's the worst thing that's been said. Like even black, even Blackburn is like, well, we know that he's raised monsters and but he hasn't killed anyone. He hasn't. I feel like even Blackburn would hear him say that and be like, oh no, I think that's a little wrong. You need to get consent before you do that sort of thing. <laughs> that's your Blackburn impression voice. That's interesting. Yes, hundred years in the grave will do it to your voice too. You look pretty good though. Your skin's looking nice. I mean, I use aloe. <laughs> Wow, you can find aloe underground? That's amazing. Yeah, well, it is plant-based. I was buried with two tons of Pantene Provine. As Wyburn leaves Bradley's office, struggling with his dark thoughts, he runs smack into Griffin. Seeing an opportunity to release some of his pent-up frustration with Bradley, <laughs> he leads Griffin into a spare room for an afternoon protein shot. Protein shot, more likely. This was such... This was such a divorce of character for Wyborn to me because the whole book, well, he's been so worried, you know, I mean, even being in the carriage, he was worried about their hands touching when he was really drunk. And now all of a sudden, because he's frustrated with Bradley, who he's been dealing with for years and years and years and years, he's going to go suck Griffin off in a closet in the museum. It's out of character, not only 
for the reasons you just said, but because so far they've been actually pretty good at their job as investigators and they've always kept their desires and sexual activities as extracurricular. And they like are wasting a little bit of time in solving the mystery in order to do this, uh, which, you know, maybe they would be a little distracted by their, you know, statuesque lengths or whatever, however they want to put it. <laughs> but it kind of felt like they were wasting time. I feel like if this were a movie, this is a scene that would be cut out because mm. it's just like it runs a little long. We just got done with a very lengthy sex scene. And honestly, maybe I shouldn't be looking in this type of literature for like that huge plot thread. But this felt like it kind of ground the story to a halt. And they were like blowing each other. And I was like, I kind of want to get back to the mystery, guys. I'm ta- I'm tapping on the office door. Hey, guys. Even at a certain point, they're talking about having to meet Christine at Marsh's. Like, they they have a place they need to go right now to meet somebody to do a thing. And instead, they're like, ah, what if we had lunch here? They then meet Christine at Marsh's diner to plan their defense of the mummy the night of the museum gala. Later that night, Griffin wakes Wyborn with a terrifying nightmare, admitting he has spent time in an asylum, also confirming they've basically moved in together. <laughs> Griffin explains his fits are from witnessing how his old Pinkerton partner Glenn was murdered in some underground ritual space by a giant tentacle monster who dissolved his face off. There are those tentacles you were asking for, Lucky. It specifically, I said, please no. I said no, thank you, please. And already, it's the. I'm so worried we're going to get more before this book is over, and they're going to be used sexually. After the horrible revelation of Griffin's. Terrible nightmare. Wyborn offers some nice support and understanding, sharing in the fear with Griffin. That evening at the museum's gala, Wyborn has an otherworldly sexual encounter with the resurrected Theron Blackburn while viewing an old scroll featuring... Uh, sensual encounter. It was sensual. Yeah, sexual maybe was aggressive. Sexual... That would be like if they went into the store. If they had gone into the storeroom, I would have had to take a break reading. I would have to be like, okay, I'm going to read this tomorrow. This is too much for me. I am 100% sure Wyborn gets an unintentional erection during this moment. It was the black magics that did it to me. Uh, yeah, because it's the gala and they all think that they're going after the mummy. Like they want to resurrect the mummy. But the cult is actually after the scroll, which uh, Wyborn is sort of hanging out nearby. He meets up with Blackburn and Blackburn. Yeah, he pulls this move where he like is. Correct me if I'm wrong. He takes a lengthy fingernail and runs it down his spine all the way to like the top of his. Um, hams yeah yeah absolutely he, he it's like this weird spine tracing and he's also i guess like breathing on his ear and neck as he's talking to him and i mean i guess he looks sexy just based off of wyburn's description i mean yeah. we're reading this plot through wyburn he is sexually attracted to this dude a little bit he's sexy i imagine in the way that dracula is sexy so very like, he's he's old and pale and crusty but there's also something in there that you can't deny you want to have for supper. Yeah, because he's, he's been dead for 200 years, and the cult like didn't bring him back until now. They were having a good time without him. That was actually an interesting point they brought up, because you know he left instructions to be resurrected, and they would assume immediately. So they've come to the conclusion that the Brotherhood is resurrecting him for some other purpose. So yeah, he's back. He's back in the saddle again. But there's something else going on, too. They needed him to complete another task. Wyborn alerts the team to Blackburn's presence, only realizing too late his real goal is the scroll. The Brotherhood snatches the scroll in a classic turn-out-the-lights heist, 
with Wyborn in hot pursuit. As the Brotherhood is escaping down a secret tunnel, Blackburn tries to vampire-seduce Wyborn, who resists the pole. A thug then shoots Wyborn in the arm, guaranteeing their escape. Christine and Griffin rescue a tired Wyborn, and the trio make their exit. After returning to Griffin's to tend wounds and drink, Griffin and Wyborn make this officially our most graphic selection with a little hide the salami. Oh my god. That's literally all I wrote on that encounter. <laughs> I forgot. I thought the, for some reason I thought the reading ended with him getting shot. I forgot that they go back and actually bang for the first real time. They make it official and he has a gunshot wound. Like, I mean, I understand it's the arm and it's not going to stop you from having sex, but like, I feel like if after a night like that, I probably wouldn't want to get railed like a railroad spike, right? I don't know. Sometimes being close to death makes you want to feel alive. And for some people, there's nothing closer to being alive than um, taking the midnight train to pound town. Yeah, headboards were shattered and all innocence was lost. Griffin's neighbors are like, mm, sounds like he's doing some construction up there. A lot of hammering, nailing, screwing, <laughs> pounding. The sex scenes in this book are graphic. In the sense that they are described in full, and in length, and in girth. The number of fingers used to measure... I was wondering if we were going to talk about How much about they this. love each other. Oh, okay. You, he's, okay, he's never been kissed before or a couple days before. You gotta ease into things like this. Uh, but it seems to be a pretty enjoyable night by all accounts from uh, these two gentlemen. Uh, as I said before, this is like... I would say that this is a romance book, because it does have that element to it, but... You could also file this book under erotica, because I think even if even in an ordinary romance novel, they would like have sex. You might describe their like, you know, it felt the sensation of their hands on my body. But I don't think it's going to go into like this like depth of it. There's there's an element of this book that is pornographic. I 100 percent agree. The next morning, Christine barges in on them to inform the boys there may be photographs of the stolen scroll. And that is how our reading ends of Wittershins by Jordan L. Hawk. That ties up the reading for the week. Uh, so, you know, enough about gay sex mm -hmm. and horror. Let's talk about Hellbent, which is a gay sexual horror film. Such a refreshing twist. I love this. Uh, each episode for uh, Wittershins, we're also celebrating some queer horror movies. So far, we've watched mm -hmm. Jennifer's Body, uh, which was kind of lesbian. Was, yeah, we had that. I, would, I would definitely call that a lesbian movie. Then we watch The Covenant, which is not really gay, but it has a lot of shirtless dudes in it. So and terrible kind of dialogue. That movie. Uh, this week, I think we kicked it up a notch, and I think we hit the we hit the nail on the head, as it were. Uh, Hellbent is a 2004 slasher film written and directed by Paul Etheridge Oates. It's about a group of gay partygoers on Halloween who are stalked and murdered one by one by a suspiciously ripped gentleman in a devil mask and horns. Uh, and this killer seems to only target beautiful gay men. Uh, lots to unpack here. Lucky, what was your initial reaction to Hellbent? I thought it was going to be more of a full story. Honestly, I thought we were going to get kind of like, huh. we'd understand who the killer was. It was going to be one of the friends of this new guy who's coming into the group. I figured it was oh. going to be some kind of like repressed person or some kind of narrative uh, as opposed to just a who done Yeah, yeah, a who done it. Exactly. As opposed to just like kind of a ripped shirtless man going around and killing gay men for seemingly no reason. That was kind of like Halloween in that respect, where you don't really learn what the motives of the killer are. They just kind of exist as this almost supernatural True. force. But they introduce a lot of like people that it could be. Like they there's there's like a few people they meet throughout the night, and I I did think there was going to be some kind of unmasking. Um, but I, I, they they never take. They even ask like ah, like somebody reaches to take off the mask, and it's like you don't want to see under there. 
It would ruin the effect of the movie. What? It leaves us with the assumption that it is potentially a devil. One thing that I liked about the movie is that it was really gay. Uh, we did a lot of research to try and find like gay horror movies that we hadn't seen for these segments. And so many of those lists are filled with supposedly gay horror movies that aren't really gay. It's kind of just like a lot of eye candy, right? Like it's a lot of like nude men or like nude women. And that's kind of the qualifier, but that wasn't really. Friendships that could be something more. Yeah. Shirtless dudes that don't like kiss each other. Some horror movies are considered queer or LGBT because they've been adopted by the queer, like Babadook is like, oh, like that's been totally co-opted by the gay community because Netflix accidentally categorizes it as a gay movie. Like it put it under queer films and it has nothing to do with that. It's like about a woman being haunted by like a, her grief and this mysterious figure. But now they're like, oh, actually that the villain in that sort of has a top hat and a foppish way about him. Uh, and then there's other movies that are gay in spirit or like where they couldn't come out and say like, oh, we're gay. Like Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is super gay, but they can't say it. Then some gay movies are just super gay. And Hellbent is one of those movies. Gay characters, probably a gay repressed villain. I think every fucking character in this movie is gay. It's a town that has like rural wooded areas to get murdered in. But then 20 feet away, there's like a carnival with a rave. I mean, to be said, that town sounds rad. There were raves all the time. Like All the food looked lit. The place was fire. Uh, like half the population of the town is drag queens. Uh, yeah, we see movies with all straight characters all the time, so I'm kind of on board. But I, I did note that. Like, where is this town? Well, I was enjoying uh, the movie so much because, you know, it took us so long to find one that really emphasized, like, these characters are gay and this is what's happening. That I don't think I noticed until over halfway through the movie, like, wait a minute. <laughs> it's only <laughs> been men and they're all gay and kissing each oh, other. Oh, yeah. I should say that there's not there's no lesbians in this movie. <laughs> there's the closest we get is a man who's dressed up as a woman for Halloween. So if you're looking for like other if you're looking for the other parts of the LGBTQIA rainbow, it's you're you're really only getting the G. They hit the G really hard on this one. This is man on man specific. Uh, and, you know, like it's like a lot of other slashers uh, where there's not really much of a plot. It's just kind of murder to murder to murder. But it is somewhat self-aware and it doesn't take itself too seriously. Um as evidenced by a scene where they are at a club. And I think the greatest song ever written for a film is played. Uh, it's like a kind of a metal song. And I, the title I believe is porno di giorno. <laughs> I, a band called nickname. I couldn't believe that song was happening. The lyrics were all incredible. And listen, folks, we looked, we tried, tried to, to find, find it. those lyrics. If you could find the lyrics of porno de giorno and send Full it to lyrics. us please please do but my nickname nickname if you're out there please hit us up we know we have a lot of fans um who used to work in the gay movie industry so please please mm -hmm. the only lyric i could remember that i like thought to write down while watching the movie is and this is explicit folks it really makes me nut when you put it in the butt <laughs> porno de giorno <laughs> Oh, and what it, it just rolls off the tongue. It's like, mm, it's like nice to say. It's like, it's like uh, fettuccine Alfredo. I put on the giorno. One last note on Hellbent. Um, very few horror movies have gay characters, gay main characters, and even fewer have characters with glass eyes. I, I like that. That it's not just a hot twink. He's a hot twink with a glass eye, which you don't think would become too big of a part of the movie, but it is a huge part of the final scare sequence, which I really enjoyed. So what do you think, Mac? Would you recommend this movie to our listeners? 
Yeah. Yes, I would. Uh, you know, it's not a, it's by no means a masterpiece. It's not Scream or Halloween, but if you know you're getting into kind of a low budget slasher film, I think you could do a lot worse than Hellbent. And if you're looking for like an actually gay horror movie with real gay characters and real gay themes, Hellbent, Hellbent's the movie for you. Also, Porno DiGiorno, man, you could just, they should have called the movie that. I think you'd have a lot more, the business would have been good. I couldn't even buy it on iTunes as I've tried to find it. So like I said, if you're out there and you've got a copy of Porno DiGiorno or even just some transcription of the lyrics from the film, please send them our way. You can reach us. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Hashtag GRBookNook on there. You can send us an email. That's GRBookNook at gmail.com. We want to hear from you, whether you like Porno DiGiorno, whether you hate it. Maybe you like DiGiorno for breakfast. We don't judge. Well, we will judge you if you eat pizza, that kind of pizza for breakfast. If any of you eat chili for breakfast, I desperately need to know um, because I can shame you then on social media. That is at GRBookNook on all social media and our uh, email address at GRBookNook at gmail.com. We're going to get such an angry email from like chili lover bed and breakfast at AOL.com. <laughs> <laughs> Earthlink.net. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of our show here. Uh, I want to give a thank you to everybody who likes our show, is uh, giving us likes and subscribes on Twitter. Uh, the best way you can support us, though, is by going to iTunes and liking and commenting there. That is the yeah, best we way. Yeah, we got another five-star review. They didn't hey. leave any comments, but they were kind enough to slap that five stars on there. Well, thank you, Mysterious Stranger. You brighten our days, just like we try to do for you. No pressure. No, no, no pressure. Other fans who haven't put in a review, <laughs> get on iTunes. Everybody has a. F- if you're reading Wittershins along with us, uh, we're going to be reading the last third of the book. That's chapters 21 through, uh, I think, 29. It's to be to the end of the book. That episode discussion is going to be out on November 6th, so a little bit after Halloween, but uh, fresh off of the Day of the Dead. So, knowing us, we'll we'll keep it in the spooky season. I'd like to say thank you to Andrew Huang for the use of Grind, our intro outro music. Such that is that song. bouncy, dancy, spooky tune you've grown to love. I'm going to miss it when it's gone. I like that. We're, well, we're, we're going to read something kind of holiday themed next, I think, uh, for, for Christmas times. But I don't, I'm not going to be as good as this one. Okay, spooky question, Lucky. Hit me with it. You're, you're at the Monster Mash. Yep. You're having a graveyard bash. As always. Who do you, who do you take out on the dance floor? I think that the mummy has some of the best moves, but I don't want to get tangled up in all of the like drapings and droppings coming off of it, you know, because it's always shedding its toilet paper. Um, Yeah, you step on that toilet paper, give him a little spin. Suddenly you got a nude mummy running around and the party starts. That's also a really great way to clear the dance floor. He'll just ping pong off of everybody and you'll get your space. (laughs) Um, I've played the Elvira pinball machine. I know what happens when the mummy gets loose. That's actually a great reference. I would dance. I would take Elvira out there. She is beautiful. She is queen of the monsters. And I think that we would hit it off. She's a party monster herself. What about you? Maybe uh, Frankenstein, because he's the only one that I could. Oh, the monster. I mean, Uh, not the doctor. He's creepy. Uh, but the Frankenstein's monster because he he can't upstage me with the dancing. I've seen young Frankenstein. I know that he's not much of a dancer. You're better at dancing. You're going to be sharper in the conversation. Uh, he can hold stuff for you. He's like a great purse, which I think is fun. Like you can just give mm-hmm. him all the things you don't want to carry around. He can light my cigarettes. It's good. Buy a friend. Yeah, for all.